You are listening to Melbourne Lights Church Weekly Podcast. We are continuing our, our series today, The Church That Jesus Is Building. The church that Jesus is building is not an organization or a brand. If you haven't been with us in this series, there's a bunch of, uh, bunch of previous weeks on our podcast that you can listen to. The church, or the, the, the Bible uses the word ecclesia, is a people. It's a people who are added by Jesus together in a local area for the purpose of glorifying Jesus, becoming more like Jesus, seeing his rule and reign, his authority come in our lives and to those around us. That's the purpose of church. Yes, we're called to be disciples who make disciples. Yes, we're called to, 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 to meet the needs of those around us, to be a blessing to others. But the ultimate purpose is that people would know Jesus. When we gather, why, you know, in the weightiness of his presence, why do we say we want to respond, we want to be changed every time? It's because it's not just about ticking a religious box. It's about becoming like him and helping others become like him. You and I, we are the body of Christ. We are the church. Doesn't matter what building we meet in, doesn't matter where we gather, doesn't matter what time we meet, doesn't matter whether we have, uh, we have a dark ceiling or a light ceiling or lights or no lights or loud worship or, you know, or a choir. It doesn't, those things don't matter. The church is people, not a building. The church is us, the body of Christ. And Ephesians 4 says this, growing up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ from whom the whole body, every single one of us, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. It's not a nebulous thing. It's not an organizational thing. It's a you and me thing. The response to everything in this series is not an organizational response. Can I say that again? When we talk about the church that Jesus is building, the response is not an organizational response. It's a heart response to the kind of people that Jesus is fashioning us to be as his body. It's a radical response. It's a wholehearted yes to his purposes and his promises for us as a people, that we would reflect him. Today, I want to look at this. The church that Jesus is building is a generous people is a generous people. Would you open your Bibles with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 9? 2 Corinthians chapter 9. The context for this is that Paul is urging um, the Corinthian church to follow through with their commitment to take up an offering for the Christians who are suffering in Jerusalem. The great thing about the Corinthian church is that they were one of the the early churches to say, yes, we want to do this. And not only did they want to do it, but they wanted to actually, uh, they actually encouraged the other churches in the area to take up an offering for those who were suffering. Stay with me because it's more about the heart than about an offering and just be at ease, we're not gonna take up another offering, okay? Just take a deep breath. The Corinthian church was, was encouraging others. They had helped motivate others um, in this area of ministry. And in chapter 8, Paul actually says this. He says that the other churches in the region had given well beyond what, they had, what he had even expected. I mean, that's really cool, like when there's a need to be able to say, the, the, you know, the churches in the region gave well beyond even what he was expected. 
But it's not just about money, and it's not just about fixing problems caused by lack of funds. This chapter speaks to the heart of the giver, the heart of generosity that goes beyond a financial gift, that goes far beyond uh, uh, you know, something in the natural. It's the heart of generosity that brings spiritual growth that goes beyond the physical needs being met. We'll see this when we read in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. It says this, now it is superfluous, I love that word, for me to, to write to you about the ministry of the saints, for I know your readiness. I love that. He's like, I know you guys are ready. Um, of which I boast about you to the people of Macedonia, saying that um, Acacia has been ready since last year, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. They're zealous about being a generous people. He says, but I'm sending uh, the brothers to you that are boasting, may you, may you, uh, sorry, are boasting about you may not prove empty in this matter, so that you may be ready, as I said you would be. Otherwise, if some Macedonians come with me and find out that you are not ready, we would be humiliated, to say nothing of you uh, for being so confident. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go ahead to you, to arrange in advance for the gift that you have promised, so that it may be ready as a willing gift, not as an extraction. I love this, because now he jumps from the gift to the heart. He says, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he's decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God, being able to make all grace, the shift right here in this verse. He's, he's talking about a gift, but then he goes, and God being able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. What happened? He's gone from talking about a gift to meet the needs of the saints in Jerusalem to a heart work of a generous people and a God who gives us grace, meets every need, has all sufficiency in all things that we may abound in good works. As it's written, he has distributed freely, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only, I've circled this in my Bible, it's not only supplying the needs of the saints, but it's also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of the service, they will glorify God because of your submission flowing from your, comp your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. While they long for you and pray for you, because of the surpassing grace of God upon you, thanks be to God for his inexpre uh, inexpressible gift. There's something that happens in the heart of a generous people. Often, uh, you know, when, when we talk about generosity, we get stuck on money. And I don't want to get stuck on money today. Because God's not called us just to be givers of money. He's called us to be a generous people. We see here um, what generosity does in our lives, it, the, the fruit it produces in others. And it's far beyond just meeting a, a, a natural need. There's a fruit of righteousness 
There's a fruit of grace and there's a fruit of growth that comes from being a generous people. When it comes to generosity, we often just stop at money and we miss the bigger picture of what's on the heart of God. The point is not just money. The point is a generous life. The point is that everything that I am is for Jesus. Everything that I have, see it starts with what I have, but actually what Jesus wants is not just what I have, what he wants is my heart. It starts with what I have, but what he's actually after is my heart. It's not just what I have belongs to Jesus, but that who I am belongs to Jesus. In Luke chapter 16, verse 10 to 15, the context is Jesus is telling a parable about, about money, but it says this, um, one who is faithful in very little, or that which is least, some translations say, is also faithful in much. The one who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. If then you, uh, if then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth or in the area of money, who will entrust you with true riches? What's true riches in the kingdom of God? It's not more money, it's people. What's the most valuable thing? Why did God send his son to die for people? He says, uh, who will trust you with true riches? If you have not been faithful in what is another's, who will give you what is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money, it says. Or some translations say mammon, like the, the spirit of the world behind money. Verse 14 says, the Pharisees, this is, a, this is a full-on scripture, who are lovers of money, heard all these things. And they ridiculed him. And they said to him, you, uh, and he said to them, you are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your heart. For what is exalted amongst men is an abomination in the sight of God. Jesus says that money is that which is least. But he links faithfulness with money to being entrusted with people. Generosity starts with, that, uh, with, with giving that which is least. I think it starts with our finances, which releases us to give that which is most valuable, which is our lives. It starts with the area of that which is least and moves to the area of that which is most valuable. Can I say this? We will never lay down our lives for the sake of the gospel if we're not willing to lay down our finances. We'll never lay down our lives for the sake of the gospel if we don't get a heart of being a generous people. Jesus says money is that which is least. But you know what? God will use money to test us. You go, what? He'll use money to test if we trust him as our provider or if our trust is in ourselves. Is my trust actually in him? Or is my trust in myself? He'll, he'll, he'll use money to test if we're faithful with what he's entrusted to us. He'll use our money to test if we can steward his resources. He'll use our money to test if we will sow what he gives us or be an open-handed people. And it's all moving to this point. Not that you can just live a more blessed life. He'll use our money to test if he can entrust us with true riches, which is his people. Will he be the provider for people? Will, he, will, 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 will we be faithful with the people he's entrusted to us? Will we steward the people that he's entrusted to us well? Will we be open-handed with the people that he wants to bring with us and send them out, not just hold on to them? 
can we be entrusted with his people? Generosity, being a generous people, I think does start here in the church, but it should never stop here in the church. The problem is many churches have preached this thing of generosity just about getting more finances for the church so that we can have a bigger church. It starts in the church, but it never stops here. It's always beyond us. It's always so that we can, be a, we can lay down our lives and be a more generous people out there. The reality is, though, that we train and direct our hearts here. Why? It sets us up to be a generous people out there. We worship here. Why? Because we're called to be a worshiping people out there. We pray and intercede here, not because it's just about here, because it trains us and releases us to be intercessors and prayers out there when we meet people on the street. We, we encourage one another here because it trains us to encourage others when we go out there. We discipline the desires of the flesh here, which frees us to be generous to others and lay down our lives out there. I think it's inter interesting that the Pharisees in this scripture were called lovers of money. They heard what Jesus said, and the response when Jesus spoke about money was to ridicule him. I don't want to spend too much time on that this morning, but my question is this. What is your heart saying to you right now? What is your heart doing right now? Because if you're going, oh, I can't believe he's talking about this. Can't, like, don't, don't you know what I give? Maybe our hearts betraying us and we're being more pharisaical than Christ-like. Let's read Matthew 6. You guys are very quiet. Yet Jesus spent a lot of time talking about money. Not because he wanted more of it, but because he wants our heart. Matthew 6, verse 25 to 33. I love this. This is for somebody. This, this, this verse 25 is for somebody here this morning. I felt God say specifically when I was preparing. He says, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. Somebody here today needs to hear this. Do not be anxious about your life. What you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on it. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? He says, do not be anxious. Then he speaks straight to purpose. Isn't life about more than this? Isn't life about more than just getting up, going to work, paying the bills, doing the same thing again? Yes, it is. We have a bigger calling. We have a bigger purpose. He speaks straight to purpose. He says, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor, uh, sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet the heavenly Father feeds them. Then he says, are you not of more value than they? He speaks to identity. So he's saying, don't be anxious about the, the, the stuff that you need. And the first thing he goes for is purpose. You have a bigger purpose than this. The next thing he speaks about is identity. He says, are you not more valuable than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life or her span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven or the fire, will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. Now Jesus 
is making this a faith issue. He's saying, where's your focus? What are you looking for for salvation? I love that um, when, when he's saying this, they would, have, they would have been thinking about the Israelites in the wilderness for 40 years, and it says that their shoes didn't wear out and their clothes didn't wear out. They'd seen the faithfulness of God, but he makes it a faith issue. He says, what are you looking for for your salvation and your security? Verse 34, therefore do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles or those who don't follow Jesus seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. He's talking about focus and heart. Seek first, the, uh, the, the focus is the kingdom. Seek first the kingdom and the heart is his righteousness. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things, all these, the things that you need, the material things will be added to you. These things that he talks about here are the things that stop us from being a generous people from living a generous life, anxiety about what we'll need, about life, about what we'll eat, about the bills, about petrol prices, about interest rates, about the stock market, about clothes. I mean, if you watch the news this week, and we have some financial planners in our midst, and they had a rough week this week. If you watch the news, you will be anxious about how, how are we gonna do this? The things that we put our trust in, they're the things that stop us from being a generous people. And remember, I'm not just talking about giving our money, but about giving our lives. Because we begin to look to ourselves as our providers. We begin to say, I need to take on more, more work. I need, to, I, need, you know, I need to provide. I need to find a way. Rather than looking to him as our provider and continuing to be generous in addressing these things that stop us from being a generous people, Jesus says this. He goes after the heart. Purpose. Is not life more than this? Are you living with a bigger purpose or are you being distracted by what the world says your purpose should be? Identity. Are you not more valuable to the Father? You're not more valuable because you have more things. You're not more valuable because you live in a bigger house or you have a, nicer, a better car. You're valuable because Jesus died for you, because you're made in his image. Are you not more valuable, purpose and identity? And then he goes for faith. I mean, he goes right to the big guns. Where's your focus? Where's your heart? What are you looking at for salvation? And then he goes for the heart. What are you seeking after? He's asking us these questions today. Are we seeking after the kingdom and his righteousness? Is our hearts cry, Lord, make me righteous. Make me more like you. Make me holy. Or is our, or is our hearts cry, make me wealthy. Make me more comfortable. Nobody likes to hear these preachers because it hits all of us. I'm preaching to myself. But honestly... These are, the, the, these are the questions I think, honestly, we have to answer honestly if we're going to be a generous people, the church that he's calling us to be. If we're going to be the church that Jesus is building, we have to say, is my heart's cry, God, make me holy. God, increase my impact for your glory. God, make me righteous. Or is my heart's cry, actually, God, make me comfortable. There's a song they used to sing. I can't believe they actually sang it in church in the 80s. You know, there was an ad on TV 
oh Lord, won't you buy me a Mercedes Benz? Have you ever heard, you know, have you ever heard that ad? They used it on a Mercedes thing. They actually sang that in a church. I'm surprised that lightning did not strike the building. That's not the point. It's not the focus. If you drive a Mercedes, be free. Like, I'm, you know, sorry. I just realized, it's awesome. Go for it. Because, you know, for some, God does release uh, physical blessing. But it doesn't, make, it doesn't mean that you're more successful in the kingdom. So here's the problem. Often we look at the kingdom the same way we look at the world. And we go, oh, bigger house, two cars, you know, uh, private school, you know, driving an a, a imported car, they must be, more, yeah, must be more righteous and holy. God loves them more. Because that whole prosperity gospel rubbish has put that into our heads. That's not the kingdom. Jesus says, follow me, and you'll be hungry, you'll be destitute, you'll go without, uh, you know, you're going to have hardship, you're going to face trial. You guys, have, you, have you read your Bible? <laughs> There's no amens to, to hungry, destitute, and going without. The same day we had people over for a welcome to church lunch last week, and we're going to have another one next week if you missed out. But um, saying one of my favorite things about the last two years as a church, um, in all the hardship and trial of COVID times, was actually seeing the church be the church and help people who had need. Because we actually don't have a lot of need in our country. To see people pay people's rent, to buy groceries, to buy, you know, to take meals around. And not all through, like, it's not all through us. Not, not like, here, can I give you money to give to them? Sometimes people are just showing up with, with just bags of groceries, not, you know, not just a meal, like two weeks' worth of groceries, or, you know, rent for, for months, or, you know, opening the houses for people to move in with them. I mean, just... To see the church being the church. That's what being a generous people is. So I want to finish with this this morning. What does gen- being a generous people look like? Hopefully, we'll make it a bit lighter, okay? You, guys all, you still with me? We've been sufficiently chastised by the Lord. Now we will say, okay, what, what does it look like? What is God actually calling us to be? What, you know, how do we do this? What is, being gen- what is being generous or what does generosity look like? I mean, this might seem like the, you know, like the, the obvious answer. It's the answer to everything. But it looks like Jesus. It's like the answer is always Jesus. There's a kid in, in kids' church, and they said, who kicked the most goals of the football season last year? And he's like, I'm pretty sure I know who kicked the most goals. He puts his hand up, and the teacher says, yeah, yeah, okay. And he goes, Pretty sure I know who kicked the most goals, but it's kids' church, so the answer has to be Jesus. <laughs> the answer is always Jesus. What does being ge- generous look like? It looks like Jesus. John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that He gave. What was His response to loving you and I? That He gave His only Son. That whoever believes in Him, in Jesus, would not perish but have eternal life. Generosity looks like Jesus. He laid down his life. He wasn't a wealthy person. He didn't have a lot, but he laid down his life. What does generosity look like? Secondly, it looks like laying down my life. 
my time, my preferences, whatever it is for another person. It's laying myself down for them. John 15, 13, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Generosity, as I said at the start, is, is far more than our finances. God's actually calling us to lay down our lives for those around us, to lay down our lives for the lost, to lay down our lives for people that don't know him. You know, we talk about, you know, community connect, having a coffee with somebody, opening my home, discipling somebody. That's generosity. It takes your time. It means buying somebody a coffee. It means, you know, pursuing them. That's what generosity looks like. Making meals for somebody, opening my home, giving my time to, to go out on the street and outreach and love somebody. That's what generosity looks like. Serving, helping. That's what generosity looks like. Sometimes we say, oh, you know, but I, I'm not called to outreach, which is a lie from, the, from the, the enemy. But can I ask you this? Even if you have believed that lie, are you called to be a generous person? Yes. Then you're called to give your time. In our society, we exchange our time for money. It's called work. We go to a job, we give them our time, they give us money. That's why it starts with money. That's why God talks so much about money, but he's calling us to lay down our lives. It's far more than money. And we come to church and we tick the box. We go, I've done the church thing, I've done my hour and 15 minutes, it's time to go home. But actually, God's calling us to give, us, give him our whole lives. It's not our hour and 15 minutes or our hour and a half on a Sunday morning, but that's how we treat it. We come in disrespectfully, we come in flippantly, we leave, we rush off, we plan something right after, we don't give him time, we don't, we don't go out and outreach, we don't come to a discipleship group, we don't invest because we don't actually value it. It looks like laying down my life. What does generosity looks like, look like, thirdly? It looks like bringing my loaves and fishes for Jesus to use and multiply. Jesus tells a story about the, the feeding of the 5,000. There's all these people who are following him. They've been out all day. Um, you know, they're, they're hungry. The disciples say, Jesus, we've got to send these people away because they have to go find food to eat. Like, I'm sure there's kids there, and you know what kids are like when they get hungry. They start getting ratty, and, you know, people are milling around going, what's he going to do? They're, there's an excitement about being with him, but they're thinking about the practical needs. And Jesus' response to the disciples is, you feed them. And they think in the natural. Where would we find the money to do this? It would be like a whole year's worth of wages to feed all these people. But one boy comes up with a couple of loaves. A little fish. He goes, here you go. And Jesus takes him. He sees the generosity. and he's, I think he sees the faith. I just love that there's like, he's like, you can do anything. Here you go. Childlike faith. Jesus takes it. He prays. He blesses it. He gives it to the disciples. I love this. It wasn't just even straight from his hand. He gives it to the disciples to give to others. And the food is multiplied, and it's multiplied, and it's multiplied. It says that every person ate, and they collected 12 basketfuls afterwards. There wasn't just enough. There was abundance. There was more than enough. It looks like bringing what's in my hand and giving it to Jesus. Generosity is bringing what's in your hand. You might say, I don't have enough. That's okay. 
What do you have? I don't have very much to bring. I'm a one-talent person. Then bring your one talent. I don't have enough to, be, you know, to, 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 to buy someone groceries for a week. That's fine. Use what's in your hand and give it to him to multiply. Because he's the God of multiplication. He's the provider. This is the, it's, this is the heart thing. Is he good enough? Is he the provider? When Jesus does his first miracle, we were, we were talking about this at our elders meeting and we were praying, he, uh, his first miracle, which is like a funny miracle, he's at, he's at a wedding, they run out of wine. Of all the miracles Jesus could have done to start with, raise the dead, limbs growing, you know, all, no, no, he's at a wedding, they run out of wine. His mom says, get some more wine for him. And he's like, it's not my time. She's like, I know he's gonna do it. So he, he, she says to the servants, do whatever he says. So he says, go get stone jars and fill them to the brim. So I, I love the response. They got the stone jars and they filled them to the brim. Not just a little bit, not like we'll leave some room, to the very top. They're like, if something's gonna happen here, we want all of it. Our response is not often like that. So fill it to the, the you know, do whatever he says. Get, get a water bottle, fill it to the brim. We fill it like halfway like that. We're like, oh, well. No, like, they were like, to the top. The kids pour, like, sparkly water, and they like to get it to the top. You know when the, when the cup has that little bubble on the top? And I'm like, I mean, that looks cool, but how the heck are you going to move that from where you are? And that, as soon as they grab it, I'm like, it happens every time, guys. Come on. But this is like, they're like, to the brim. There was an expectation. The boy brings his loaves and fishes. Someone said this, sometimes... We have to do the ridiculous to see the miraculous. Will you bring what's in your hand? Will you do the ridiculous to see the miraculous? Will you bring your loaves and fishes? Will you fill a jar with water to the brim that Jesus changes to wine? I mean, there's, all the, there's a picture of anointing in that. But in that time, they weren't thinking of the anointing of the Holy Spirit. They were just like, sweet, the party can still go on. Will you sow in a season of drought or in famine? Will you give from a place of lack? See, the kingdom is different to the system of the world. system of the world says in a time of lack, hold back, hold on, uh, 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 consolidate. But Jesus says in the, time, the way to get out of a time of lack is to sow. Sow seed for harvest. The way to get out of a season of drought is to sow. The way to get out of a, a wilderness place, you're feeling dry, you're feeling far away from the Lord, is not to then go off to a mountain by yourself. It's to press in. It's to sow. It's to worship in the place of, even if I don't feel anything, I know that you're worthy and I'm gonna worship. And then God's released because we've sown for there to be a harvest. Fourthly, what does generosity look like? Sowing seeds for the sake of the kingdom. It's sowing at every level. It's not just ticking the tithe box. Yes, we're gonna go there. It's not just ticking the tithe box because tithe is not sowing. We don't have time to do a whole teaching. I didn't want this to be a whole teaching on tithing this morning. I want it to be about the heart of generosity. But I wanna say this, tithing is not sowing. Tithing is bringing back to God what's already his. And it's breaking the hold that money has on my life. It's the starting point, but it's actually not generosity. Generosity is using and investing everything that he's given, given to me for the sake of the kingdom. It's sowing seeds for a kingdom harvest. It's beyond bringing back to God what's already his and breaking the hole that money has. That's a good thing. That's the starting place. But actually sowing is going beyond that. 
We try and claim the harvest of sowing when we tithe, and the Bible is very clear that that's not it. It's sowing seed for kingdom harvest. Yes, my finances, but more than that, my time, my gifts, my talents, my serving, my loving, my laying down my life. You know, it's, sometimes it's hard to love people. People can be, <laughs> Bethany agrees. It can be hard to love people. Sometimes people can be hard to love. Not you, but you know, other people. Um, don't let the enemy lie to you this morning and say that you're hard to love. You're not hard to love for Jesus. But yeah, it can be hard to go out on the street and love somebody who like spits in your face or tells you to go yourself. Um, but that's, we're still called to love. We're called to be generous with our love. We're called to lay down our lives. Finally, generosity looks like doing whatever he says no matter what the cost. Jesus turned the water into wine. She says, do whatever he tells you to do to the servants. Do whatever he tells you to do. I reckon there would have been some discussions out the back when they're filling the jars up with wine, sorry, with water, and going, she told us to do this, and they're going, what are you doing? Jesus says, do whatever he tells you to do. Jesus says to the disciples when, they're, when they've been out fishing all night, they haven't caught anything, just throw your nets on the other side. Like, we've been out all night, Jesus. Yeah, we get it. There's no fish here. He says, do you trust me? Are you the provider or am I the provider? Do you live by the voice of God or do you live by your own wisdom? Put the nets on the other side. And then they have this, this catch that's so big that they couldn't get it themselves. They had to call other boats over to help them pull the net in because there's so many fish, the net begins to break. Where do those fish come from? I don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. Just so you know. They were swimming around in the sea somewhere. But Jesus said, throw the net on the other side. He probably called the fish. Like, Come on, into the net. I have to teach these guys something. That's what it's like in our life. You know, this doesn't make any sense, Jesus, but I'm going to obey you. I'm going to do what you say no matter what the cost. It doesn't make any sense, but I'm going to throw the net out on the other side. And Jesus says, I need to teach you a lesson. Come, come on, fish. Into the net. When we grasp a heart of generosity and we begin to be a generous people, the result of 2 Corinthians 9 says, a harvest of righteousness, a harvest of souls. And I believe it's so big that even for us as a local church, we can't contain it. We have to call other churches and other people and say, come and help us with this. You know, come and help. God's, God's stirring revival. There's so many people encountering his presence and getting saved. We can't fit in our building anymore. We actually can't look out. Can, can you guys have, some, can some people go to you guys? Can some people come to your building? Because some people go, go over there. Sometimes we have to do the ridiculous to see the miraculous. It often doesn't make sense, but are we willing to do it? We're seeing the shaking of the nations. If our trust has been in finances or in the housing market or in investments, this week they've been smashed. But if we're called to be a generous people, to bring what we have in our hands and let him multiply it, it doesn't matter what's happening around us. God will provide. God will provide. Sir, ma'am, with your business, God will provide. 
I believe we're coming into a time again where the church will be known as the sanctuary. In the medieval times, when people needed to, 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 to run away from attack for safety, they fled to the church building and they pleaded sanctuary. And as long as they were in the church building, as long as they were in that place, they were safe from the attack that was coming toward them. We're coming to a time again where people, I believe, will turn to us, the church, you and I, for sanctuary, for help in times of need. They'll come to our houses. They'll come to our building. They'll come to us. And we'll be able to give them not only physical help, but we'll be able to give them the gospel and the power of God. Sometimes it might be like Peter and John. We might have to say, silver and gold have I none, but what I have I'll give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, be healed, be set free, come to salvation. But sometimes we we might have something that we give to them. We open our homes, we open our pantries. We're not called, can I say this, please hear this. We are not called to fortify our houses and stockpile and keep everyone out. That is not the kingdom response to the shaking of the world. We're called to open our doors to give what we have, and to watch Jesus use it and multiply it for his glory. Proverbs 11, 24 and 25, I'll finish with this. It says, one gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers one. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched, and the one who waters will himself be watered. A generous people or are people who give freely of themselves for the sake of the kingdom, who bring blessing and who waters others and waters what God's doing. Can we stand together? We hope you've enjoyed this week's message. If you have any questions or would like more information, please contact us at melbournelightschurch.com.au.